BetMGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 Moneyline wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. And there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics. So get on board. Listen. Learn. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to the Coco Express Show for Monday, August 11th, 2014. I feel like the summer's kind of like slipped away and gotten away from me, and, I, and I've kind of lost days, weeks, or whatever. But one thing I want to share with you is we spend the majority of our time wishing the days and the hours away, hoping to get to the weekend as quick as possible. We need to stop doing that. We need to learn to embrace the day, do all we can in that day, and then relax and rest and just bask in all of the wonderful things we've accomplished so we can go to sleep, wake up, and do it all over again if God graces us with the opportunity to do it again. So on that note, I'm moving forward because we have an amazing show today. We're going to talk about who in your community. Now, as a kid, I loved Mr. Rogers. Yes, I watched it, and I watched it even as my daughter was growing up as well because I really enjoyed the show. Mr. Rogers had um, actor included in his in his programming, and the factor was the word hope. And for me, it meant that you have hope in your environment, you have hope in your future, you have hope in things that that you believe in. And he used to always have this song, who are the people in your neighborhood? In today's society, in the urban communities, even in the suburban communities, we're not often sure who are the people in our neighborhood. We don't know. And a lot of times that could be something that's not good. And we need to start learning who the people are in our neighborhood. And joining us today is an amazing gentleman who is no stranger to the Coco Express show. He's joined us with his um, relationship book. He came on and he discussed the dynamics between men and women. But that is just one of the aspects of his um, persona, so to speak. He's a man of many worlds. He is a police officer, and he's also a man of God. And... He has an organization called Silence Breeds Violence, and it's a grassroots organization. And oftentimes, 
when we think of change and making change and being change agents, we always look for these big, grandiose um, programs and projects, and, and we're looking for, you know, some celebrity to stick their face in front of, a, you know, the camera to give us the okay to thumbs up. But it really doesn't take all of that. It takes an individual to come up with a concept, a sound concept, and it takes him to believe in the concept enough to put it into action, to create a template so that we all can learn how to have better communities. And joining us today is Anthony C. Harris, and he's going to talk about his grassroots organization called Silence Breathe Violence. Thank you for joining us. How are you this evening? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well. I hope I, you know, the introduction falls into what we're going to discuss because I can go off to the last sometimes. Yes, it does. And, and how I like to start off is um, we met before, like you said, we talked about our, my previous relationship book. And um, since then, um, I've ventured into the community, and I had an opportunity to talk to um, a lot of community members who, when I first came on to the department back in the 90s, um, they were at free will, you know, to talk to the police to hang out in the neighborhoods, um, to participate in the events that the police would put on. And we really didn't have an issue um, communicating and interacting with the community back in the 90s. And as time went on, um, I became a detective back in 95, and I started investigating major crimes, murders, shootings, um, and rapes. And during that time, I noticed that our neighbors communicated, again, communicated with us at will, out in public, they participated in an investigation. Any information that was necessary, we can go right to the neighborhood and attain the information. Over a period of time, what I discovered, and, and I want to say this started happening around uh, maybe 98 or 99, this phrase called snitches get stitches, you know, started to evolve. And what I noticed was, People would, uh, the, the first of all, the meaning of snitches get stitches is if you and I participate in a crime together, and as a result of that, we're conspirators, and as a result of that, you get caught by the police. And essentially, you talk to the police about your part in the crime, and you also indicate my involvement in the crime. Back in the day, that was known as snitches get stitches, meaning if you talk to the police about my participating in that crime, I'm coming after you. And I noticed this start to evolve around 98 and 99. However, what I also noticed is the snitches get stitches, which um, evolved from two people committing the crime, actually expanded into a neighborhood. Well, that was my concern because I actually felt the impact of my investigations because of that phrase, snitches get stitches. Um, I noticed that uh, crime throughout the city of Wilmington. Originally, that's, that's where I'm a police officer at, a population of 75,000 people at night. I noticed that um, our ability to solve crimes um, became much, much challenging, more challenging as time went on. And I also noticed that neighbors that would freely speak to the police started shutting down and weren't communicating with us much at all, if any. Now, just recently... Um, I'm now housed in an uh, um, alternative school. And as I was walking through my 
alternative school one day, one of the kids were actually speaking to a principal. And the kid was actually speaking to a principal about an incident that had occurred in the school. As I noticed a student walking down the hallway, the student uttered, snitches their stitches. And the student who was listening, who was uh, providing the principal with the information, immediately shut down. And I start to think about that. And I start to attach it to how this has shut down our communities within the city, within the state, and ultimately throughout the country. And I sat down and I started writing down ideas and I started to come up with, I said, I have to come up with a phrase to counter the snitches, get stitches, and to empower our communities, to let them know that they're an investors. They're the property owners. They're the folks who goes to work every single day and wants to come home to a free environment. And what I also acquainted it to was the police department is a necessary tool for our communities. So I prayed on it. I jotted down some ideas. And after a period of time, I came up with the phrase, silence breeds violence. Silence breeds violence. Excellent, excellent. Now, you were, you know, talking about your interactions with the community, your interactions with, um, well, the change, the wave of change over a period of, I guess you could say, two decades, so to speak. Yes. And how, you know, your ability or law enforcement's ability to be an active part in the communities was soon kind of shut down and was like, an iron steel door was pulled down and they were shut out of the communities. Now, do you kind of factor that into the influx of different things into the communities? Yes. Um, I remember that um, years ago when a a prisoner would go to jail um, for a crime that has been committed, the prisoner did not have access to information. And what I discovered over a period of time is the principle for the Free Will Act and the Information Act has information to folks who are involved in crime, folks who are witnesses of crime, and folks who are victims of crime. And I also noticed that that has hindered our investigations as well. So these kids now have more access to information when they're in the prison system. Um, and, and, uh, and I know over a period of time that it certainly has played a, um, a role in an officer conducting his initial investigation. Um, another thing I looked at as well is I, when I'm presenting my project, one of the things that I talk about is the element of crime, how crime evolves in your neighborhood. And what I talk to our citizens about is originally you're the property owners, you're the owner of your neighborhood, and we'll walk into the neighborhood that's a clean neighborhood, no crime, no, nothing happening to the neighborhood. Now, when a person walks into your neighborhood, they're surveying that neighborhood. And when I say survey, what I'm referring to is the person walks into a neighborhood to see if there's any folks that are out there that are going to pay attention to his activity. There are folks, are they going to approach him? Is he new in an environment? Is anyone going to call the police? And in today's society, most likely, no one would call the police. And over a period of time, could take a week, could take months, that neighborhood becomes a, a neighborhood or a thoroughfare 
for crime, for criminal activity. And this is the portion of my program in which my goal is to change the psychological effects of snitches and stitches, to empower the neighbors to let them know that this is your neighborhood in an environment of 75,000 citizens, only 1%, only 1% are involved in criminal activity. Now, what I'm trying to understand is how does 1% of our people put another 99% of our people in fear of their own environment? And so my goal in this program is to dispel, to dispel the effects of that. Okay. Okay. Now, your program, you know, you, you defined, you know, in your, your um, presentation, you defined you the definition of silence breeds violence. And um, silence, you say, is the refusal or failure to speak out. Um, Greed equals reproduces, and violence is a great destructive force of energy. That is correct. When, when you put, when you say this, and you, you know, go into the community and explain this to the the members, the citizens of the various these communities, what is their reaction? I mean, honestly, what is their reaction? My first um, press conference. Um, I had citizens from the local area um, on the west side of the city. And it, it was total silence. And in my opinion, the, soul, the, the total silence came from people realizing that when I, I, what I did was broke down the situation to a, a, a victim walking down the street. She's walking along with, with the gentleman, and they're having an argument. And at some point, there are violence that are struck between the two of them. How do you handle that? Do you just look at it and turn your back and walk away? Do you say something? Do you call the police? Or do you intervene? And the looks on the faces of those that were there were, I'm not getting involved. And I said, okay. I conducted uh, numerous domestic violence investigations in my 17 years of detective, in, in detective division, and some of those victims became homicides. And I said, how does that feel if you in the past have observed a domestic violence situation that may have taken a phone call or opened up your door to let someone know that you're you're looking? How does it make you feel knowing that that situation could have evolved into a homicide situation? And I tell you what, I could drop a pin in that room. It was total silence. And, And that's one of the examples that I use when I'm talking about you witnessing an incident that starts off as something very simple that ends up in something major. Now, I can play devil's advocate and say, you know, recently, I guess not even recently, but lately, you've been seeing an influx of situations in which police officers have exerted excessive violence on people causing some serious serious injuries, if not fatal injuries, fatal fatalities, rather. And mm-hmm. do you think that that contributes to the community silence? I, I think, I, I actually don't think that, but my thoughts behind this is, and, and there, there was an incident that I observed before um, when I was in the state of Virginia, 
in which an officer arrived in the area and he had some things to say. And there was 30 people on the corner. And they start to complain. My partner was a police officer. Well, he wasn't my partner, but he was my roommate, and he was a police officer at the time. And I, and I asked my partner, I said, I said, how do you handle a situation like this? He goes, I empower the people. I let them know that every person who was standing on the corner has the right to talk to a police agency when there is a, um, uh, an act by an officer that's warrant as a police officer. And, and, again, this is a situation where you re-empower the community to let them know they do have power. Believe me, police agencies throughout the country has a system in place which manage the actions of officers. However, they can't do it alone. The community has to speak up again, and I'll say this time and time again, we are a tool. We are a necessary tool. And you utilize us in a way that will protect you from, from danger or harm, and there are also systems in place for an officer who, who acts uh, above and beyond his duty. Um, I've been on for 24 years, and I've seen this department, especially under our current chief, um, take command and take charge. And when an officer acts beyond, his, uh, beyond or outside of his control, the, the police chief, he jumps right on it and he takes care of um, the officer with necessary actions that warrant his action. So um, I, in my opinion, I, this is what I think happens in situations like this. The person who may have committed a crime may be a person that lives in the neighborhood or is attached to people who live in the neighborhood. This person knows three or four people that live in the neighborhood. And because he knows those people, he becomes a threat. And the same person who lives in that neighborhood also becomes a threat to the other person that lives in the neighborhood. Communication um, to a perpetrator who doesn't live there, however, he has relatives that live there, he uses that to his advantage. He or she uses that to his advantage. So when folks talk to the police, they communicate that information back to the perpetrator, and the perpetrator starts a threat. But this is how you counter that. A neighborhood of 50 people, you start a community organization to start communicating with your neighbors on a regular basis. When John walks in the neighborhood and John is not known to be in that neighborhood, someone needs to take the initiative to approach John with the backup of the other 50, 49, 48, 27 members of that neighborhood. That's empowerment. That's empowerment. And let me tell you this, this is what helps us solve our crimes. We get 911 calls every single day. We get 911 calls for shots fired in the area. However, there are no details. The reason they call for shots fired in the neighborhood is to start the police in that direction. However, I want, I want the community to understand how the system works. Is when we get those calls, the bits and pieces of information that you provide our radio room with, our radio personnel, it dispatches to the officers. The bits and pieces of information can be put together as a puzzle to solve that crime. Officers are being given information, um, description of a person who's driving a certain car, who's wearing a, a particular outfit, a description, direction, Officers who arrive into the scene may see that suspect, and in some cases that will prevent the officer from actually going back to the witness because they're able to return the perpetrator to the scene of the crime. 
Um, what I want the community to know is every bit and piece of information is utilized in every situation, and we also have anonymous tip lines to be utilized by our citizens where they will not um, be identified as a witness. Now, over a period of time, the police agencies, the city governments, the state, the federal governments has realized as we, we have to protect we have to protect our folks who are willing to step up in their communities. And they have put systems in place, crime stoppers, we got a, we have a texture um, tip lines, we have victim services who also have services to talk to our victims even before they even talk to the police. And we provide them with an anonymous service where they can communicate with police officers. So we I think the police community has stepped up our effort. Now we have to educate the community and the services that are available. I remember as a kid, I um, witnessed, um, well, in the community that I lived in as a, as a kid growing up, there was um, a lot of, well, it was, it was a different time also, but there were a lot of people in the community that did step up all the time. And I had witnessed um, a group of people place um, a criminal under citizen's arrest. And you never hear that in today's communication or in today's society. society. Why is it that, that that term is not used anymore? I, um, in my 24 years of experience, I've seen, I think I've seen that done twice. And I've actually uh, seen it um, um, advertised in the newspaper, not really advertised, but talked about in the newspaper, in the news journal. However, I think as time went on, for fear of retaliation, um, that person wished to be anonymous in situations where there was a citizen's arrest. But citizen's arrests are still going on um, all throughout the country. But in fear of retaliation, I think that's why it's no longer being reported. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Now, you know, we spoke a little earlier and we talked about your um, your program that, you, you know, that you're you're presenting to us this evening and how it's being received elsewhere because um, as we you know, spoke, we said that this is like a template that could be used in many other places. And I understand that you are getting recognition from other cities um, regarding this. Explain, tell us That's more right. about that. Um, as the information um, is being put out through the media, um, other agencies that are throughout the country that are looking for solutions, resolutions, and plans to implement. Um, once the information is received, they're discussed through departments throughout the United States. And just recently, um, I was talking to uh, my chief, and I was also talking to the public safety director for Newcastle County, and um, they spoke about this program being implemented throughout the country. Well, just recently, I had an officer contact me from Hampton, Virginia, who heard about my program. And um, he wanted to know, you know, the the breakdown of my program, and he said that the chief was actually looking at something similar to this program. Um, I've also heard um, agencies throughout or out in California, and they also heard about the program. And so my goal is to make Wilmington Police, my original agency, the basis of this program. And one of the things that I'm working on is talking to um, my radio room supervisors to talk about how the calls come in. And you can tell as the calls are coming in how we're receiving bits and pieces of information. But if we can educate the community 
to, to go into detail, more detail, to equip the officers with knowledge of what they're going into. That will help us resolve some of our um, investigations initially on the scene. And sometimes that prevents officers from actually, or detectives from going deeper um, when an in, when a investigation is resolved on the scene. Okay. Um, go ahead, Nate. Oh, I, no, I was just saying, okay. So what you're saying basically is instead of just calling and saying there's shots being fired in my neighborhood, um, you know, we should go into detail as to where the shots are coming from. Um, what other what other detailed information would be helpful? Um, suspect information helps us greatly. Um, I've I've been in situations where you know we'll get a we'll get information on a male that's wearing a red shirt, um, black pants, sneakers, um, running south uh, in a car, and when that information is um, distributed to the officers on the street, they're on the lookout as they're arriving to the scene, and that there have been. Um, citizens that have provided us with that information, and we were able to capture the perpetrator leaving the scene, maybe in a vehicle or on a bike um, or on foot. So mm-hmm. that, that information is, is valuable, is very valuable. We also have a tip line, um, and the tip line is through, through texting, and the number is 888-777, 888-777, and you can text in a tip. Um, location, give us a location and the information that's available. And when you send that text message, we do not have no information where that call came from. So, again, this is a get, um, and you can also get mobile alerts as well. Um, But that's one of the tip lines that we use as well. Okay. Now, do you think that social media is a deterrent or very helpful um, in today's community and in today's law enforcement? I'm, I'm sorry, can you ask that question again? I said, do you think that social media has been a, a benefit or a detriment? I, I think social media can work in both ways. Okay. Um, social media helps us a lot because when we put out information, we're looking for um, call this number, call that number. Um, folks utilize that, but sometimes there, there are too much information that's being given to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, I, rem- I remember having an investigation before years ago um, that I was looking for a homicide suspect, and there are there are certain attributes of the investigation in which I did not, you know, um, you know, want in the media. However, I, just because of miscommunication, I wasn't available at the time. Um, the information got us to the media, and it kind of hindered my investigation a little bit. But I was able to resolve it at time to one. But I think for the most part, social media does help us a lot. Oh, okay, that's good. That is good because, as you know, we're overexposed anyway. So. That's a good thing. That really is. Now, if people wanted to find out more about your um, your your organization, how can they do that? Um, Just go to silencebreachviolence.com. There is a wealth of information there, and you can also leave your information. And if if you want to be involved, you can, or I can just keep you up to date. Leave. uh, You can leave a phone number, or you can leave an email address and I'll have someone in contact with you. That's excellent. So it's silencebreedbalance.org.com. Silencebreedbalance.com. Okay. Okay, great, great, great. Now, what have, what, since you've, you know, introduced this and um, have this 
grassroots project going on? Have you had any um, feedback from your community? Yes. Um, one of the um, council members, I'm, I'm not at liberty to say her name yet. <laughs> I, I didn't ask her permission, but she's heavily involved in the program and the implementation, implementing stages of it. Um, she's provided me um, whatever services that are needed. Um, I've been involved in, I have a vice president um, of this. He's, a, he's also the president of the CDCP organization. He's involved in it. And the, CT, the CDCP is um, Child Development Community Policing Program. And it's, it's a program that helps a kid who witnessed traumatic events. Um, I have a number of agencies that are on board um, just waiting to sit down at the table to um, develop this program. There are two um, parts, the two variations of the program. Um, one part is the, the community, and the second part is the educational system. Um, I recently sat down with some UD students, and one of the things they talked about was, um, listen, I started learning this snitch of their stitches when I was in grade school. And they said, so you're going to to change the psychological effects, you're going to have to go back into grade school, middle school, and high school. So on, on the table, as well as I have the educational system. So mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of folks that are, that are just waiting to sit down at the table to, um, you know, to finish the program. That sounds amazing. And it is something because, you know, you have – we have to distill a lot of myths that have been, I guess you could say, ingrained in us from childhood in regards yep. to how we, how we interact with each other in our communities. And it's programs like this that will probably be a way, a vehicle, because it's going to take a lot more. But as they say, it doesn't take a whole community of people. All it takes is one person, one person with a good idea, Passion. That's correct. And belief. And he can move mountains. Well, I tell you this. <laughs> In my 24 years of law enforcement experience, um, I've seen too many deaths. I've seen too many um, serious crimes, um, and I've seen too many rapes. And when a uh, pe people think that you know police officers, they, they think they we're iron men, and and we're not. We're human. And I have to let you know that when I, when I lay down at night, I still think about riding the ambulance and, and talking to the young man, and he's saying his last words before he died. You know, I mm -hmm. still think about autopsies of kids. Um, I still think about rape victims crying and can't recover from being, you know, from, from, from being raped, and even after they go through counseling. I still think about this young man who stabbed his wife 27 times, and then he jumped off a bridge. You know, th those things does not go away. So you do develop a passion for human life as, as time go on. And my goal is to find a solution so we can, again, empower our citizens to take over their communities and stop that 1%. Mm. That's, that's interesting that you would say all of that because oftentimes we do believe that you have a steel heart because you have to have a steel heart because you see the worst in humanity on a daily basis. That's correct. And, you know, m my question to you is, okay, if you still go to bed with that on your head, how do you resolve to get up the next day well, and start all over again? The beginning, the beginning of the program, you said a godly man. Okay. That's it. Okay. I just put it in God's hands. 
There you go. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, have you had your church community, have they backed your program? Um, the church community is aware of it, and one of the city councilmen talked about sitting down with the ministers and bringing this program um, to their attention to get the support. So that's, that's actually in progress. Oh, excellent, because you know, as you know, in a lot of our communities, especially the African-American community, the church is the center of our communication hub, so to speak. That's correct. Um, and it used to be black radio, but that kind of like dwindled down. Now it's the church, you know, the church has been a mainstay in communicating things that go in the communities, things that we need to know about, things that we should be doing, and so on and so on. So it's really good to have them you know, ingrained in this particular type of program because it enables the community to, to want to support it even more because they know if the church stands behind it, then it's got to be worth fighting for, so to speak. That's correct. And, and, that and, and one of the things that I, and thank, thanks to my longtime partner, um, Stephanie Hamilton, she's a victim service person at Wilmington Police. Once you looked at my program, because her and I, we've implemented um, quite a few um, programs within the department. But once she sat down and looked at the silence, breeze, violence, she said, Anthony, one of the things that we do have to implement, you know, I know you think the community, the community is aware of it, but they're not of the resources that are available. And what I found out is once I started interacting with the community, they weren't available. They were not aware of all the services that are available. So my goal as well as implementing this program is getting the community services that are out there for that victim, for that person who's never talked to the, the police officer before, for that person who's held on to a serious incident that has happened for a period of time and they're afraid to talk to the police, um, and to let them know that there are services, there are counseling, there, there are things available for, to get these folks through their struggles. Okay, so you are you. Your goal is to educate and empower the community so that they can be able to be um, a really good ally to the police department and their communities in helping them have a safe and um, happier environment to live in. That is correct, and I, and I do want to say to the community, we really need you guys from the police departments all throughout the country. We really need you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I, you know, I enjoy speaking with you. Um, you always have so many positive things going on, which is, you know, great. And like I said, for you living in two different worlds, it, I know it's a struggle and I know there are, it's, it's difficult. And because you see one thing one way and you know things, you know everything from another perspective as well. But it must be a, a struggle at times. And the fact of the matter is that every time I see you, you have the same disposition, you have the same smile on your face. And that, <laughs> for me, that speaks volumes because, like I said earlier, you see the worst of the worst, but you still manage to smile. And that's a beautiful thing. And for you to implement a program like this, that means it comes from your heart. And the core of yeah. who you are is to help other people. And that's that's what it's saying to me, and that's what it speaks every time I see you, that you love people and you want to help them. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, you're <laughs> welcome. You're welcome. I just say what I see, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I enjoy that. And, and you know what? Um, even though we see all bad um, we all police are throughout the country, we care. Our goal is to save a life. And let me tell you something. That is the best feeling in the world. And that's happened a few occasions 
on my side, and it's always it's happened to quite a few officers out here. Now, that information is not publicized because we don't brag about what we do. It's, like the people say, it's your job, um, but it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling when you can save a life. I, I, I would agree to that because a life saved is it, it's just a lot of um, grief saved a, a family, and that's something that we see played out way too much lately. And, and I have to say, I thank you for, you know, doing the job that you do, and, you know, I thank the police department for being there and taking on the role of trying to serve and protect the community. And like you said, they're a necessary element in our society, and we need them and they need us. And we have to be grateful for what is given to us, and I appreciate you and what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, it, it's it's um, avenues like this which get the information out. You know, some folks that are listening to the blog, blog radio may not be folks who listen to the public media, may not listen to, you know, the news, may not read the news journal. So this is just another avenue, another vehicle to get that information out to the public, and I really appreciate it. You're absolutely right, and thank you so much because it is a pleasure to have you, and it's a pleasure to be able to present this information so that people will know. And there may be, you know, some law enforcement um, individuals who are in another state or in another city, and they're looking for a different way of approaching certain situations in their community. So you never know, and this is what I always tell people, you just never know who's listening, and you never know what impact you're going to have on someone's life. So this information that you're providing is not only timely, but it's also beneficial to anyone who's listening. So like I said, I appreciate the fact that you've taken the time out of your schedule to be with us to share this information and this program. Thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. You're quite welcome. So on that note, I'm going to let you go. And like I said, the mic is open for you whenever you want to come back. So if there, uh, you know, if there's more information you want to share, please feel free to connect with me, and we can kind of make it happen. I will definitely come back to you in the future, in the near future. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put you on hold for a few seconds and everything because I wanted to write down some information. So don't go anywhere. Great. I have to sign off. Um, okay. Thank you. Okay. Great. So everyone, I would like to tell you that was Anthony C. Harris. He is um, one of Wilmington, Delaware's um, police department law enforcement officers, and he's taking the time out to share his program, Silence Be Violence, and we are grateful for the opportunity to see another side, to hear another perspective, and see the dynamics presented in a different way. Because we see so much negativity, it's, it's quite refreshing to see the positivity that comes about in our community on a daily basis that we don't always hear about. Now, um, please join me on Saturday. Um, I believe we're having parent assistance. I'm not sure. We're still working on our summer schedule because everybody is vacationing, and they're doing that because all the people that come on the show, they work really hard. They sacrifice their time and talent for us so that they could share whatever it is that they're passionate about and they're entitled to their time off. And I, I appreciate each and every person that works with me on the show, each and every host, each and every guest, everyone that comes on the show, they bring value and they lend their time, their talent, and their passion. And I love hearing it, and I hope you do too. We're going to continue doing what we do, and we're just making things 
happen in a different way in a different perspective. So keep your ears out and listen to hear what's going on with us because we got more coming to you. So um, with on that note, I'm going to let the show end, and I wish you all a, a beautiful rest of the summer because, you know, you're going to be hearing from us. And also be safe, be careful, take care of yourself, and God bless. That's our show for today. So until next time, keep it real, listen, learn, and live.